Hi, and welcome to Sustainability Explored, a podcast where I unfold, with the help of my amazing guests from across the world, of course, how sustainability practices are integrated into business operations in various industries. My name is Anna. I'm an environmentalist, sustainability consultant, and the host of this show. Today, I'd like to put sustainability professional in the center and see which soft skills the sustainability professionals should be equipped with nowadays and how to enhance them, how to become assertive and more resilient, strong and confident. We will be talking about time management and routine hacks, blockages the professionals are stuck with and how to overcome them how to break the belief that sustainability as a professional field doesn't bring a lot of money, which industries are currently experiencing lack of sustainability and what's the next big thing or area for the sustainability experts to get involved in. My distinguished guest today is Virginia Cinquemani, the author of the book Sustainable, how to find success as a sustainability professional in a rapidly changing world. This is a practical guide for those that have a passion for sustainability and are looking for ways to make an impact. Virginia is also a founder and director of Green Gorilla Consultants, a unique training and coaching company focusing exclusively on empowering sustainability professionals to become the most confident and assertive version of themselves and to successfully accomplish their sustainability projects even when their stakeholders think sustainability is a waste of time and money. I'm super excited that Virginia decided to join us today at Sustainability Explored. I can't wait to start our interview. But before we do, you can use this little moment to subscribe to the podcast to always be one step ahead with the sustainability news across countries and industries. All right, are you ready? Let's dive right into it. Hi, Virginia. Thanks so much for joining me today for our amazing, I can feel it already, bombastic talk about sustainability professionals and the versatile skills they have to have in the rapidly changing world. We always start, I always ask my, start my interviews by asking people how they got into sustainability, how did they choose this path, and especially you as an author of the book, Sustainable, how to find success in a, as a sustainability professional in a rapidly changing world. We're going to talk about the book, I think, uh, in a while. I assume you are that professional who became a leader by herself and now with the book is also able to share the knowledge and pass it on to the bigger audience. How did you start? Okay, so thank you first first of all for uh, having me in this podcast. Thank you so much, Anna. And uh, the question is interesting because my path is probably um, similar to people in this field, which is for me, build environment and sustainability in the build environment. But in a way, it's unique because I started as an architect, uh, like many people in, as I said, in, in my sector. 
And then over the years, I developed a real love for sustainability. So I left design many years ago because I find it a bit pointless. Sorry for all the architects that are listening right now. <laughs> um, I really wanted to give more meaning to what I was doing. And so sustainability for me is a deep ingrained value. And that's what led me years ago to do a master in energy efficient and sustainable building at Oxford Brookes University. And from then on, that's where the path sort of goes slightly sideways compared to some of my peers. I worked for 12 years at the BRE, the Building Research Establishment, which is a big, um, for those that don't know, is a, is a research institution in the UK that leads research on sustainability. So I was actually one of the authors of the BRIAM guidance. I'm sure you, you know, your audience is, is um, familiar with. So back in the days when it was, I think, 20 of us during that um, many, many years ago. So that tells something about my age. Um, so I wasn't actually advising on buildings straight away. Um, but I spent a lot of time doing the guidelines for people to adopt you know, Briam in their buildings. So I'm afraid some of it is my fault. <laughs> For those who don't like the system so much. Um, and then when I, um, when I left BRE a couple of years ago, I founded Green Gorilla because I spotted a gap in the market and that's where all started really for me in a way. Uh, I started doing consultancy on, on buildings, but I also started doing coaching and training to other sustainability professionals. And um, the reason I've done that is because in my last few years at BRE, and in fact, throughout my life at BRE, I was training sustainability professionals. And I could see the struggles, I could see the problems firsthand. Um, and then towards the end of my life at BRE, I was head of membership at the BRE Academy. That meant I had over a thousand people that I was talking to every day and I knew what they were going through and I could see their issues in the field. And so that's how I acquired a lot of my knowledge, um, you know, training these people, speaking to these people, and then of course becoming a consultant myself. That's right. long story short. <laughs> Why the consultancy is called Green Gorilla? Oh, wow. Okay. That I think popped into my mind at night. Like it often happens, right? You think about how do I call my company? And then Green Gorilla came, uh, came to my mind because I think the gorilla is, is a strong animal, is very assertive, is obviously the king of the jungle and green because of the association with sustainability. So, and that reflects the ethos of my company. I want to make sustainability professionals stronger in their professions. I want to make them more... Um, self-assured I want to make them confident to, to push sustainability in the market and that's where my whole thinking started from so how can I help people in the sector to become stronger right it sounds like your job at the moment also includes parts of maybe psychology you know coaching and bringing up the strengths in people did you have any any experience with that? Did you have to study psychology? Um, no, but I've always been interested in that. So I have done a lot of research for the book and for the training courses, which are now online. 
um, which obviously, yes, there is a lot of psychology behind, you know, the, the psychology of the struggle of people that, you know, they feel the frustration of not being able to communicate their message clearly. There is a lot of communication issues that need to be really understood. Um, so I am I'm very passionate about all of this. So I'm a bit self-taught in that sense, but I'm also studying, um, I'm, I'm also doing a coaching course. Uh, so uh, probably this time next year, I will have a qualification as well, like an official qualification. But uh, in a way, it's, you know, my, my role is more like a mentor for people in the field. Um, so because I've been through that struggle um, throughout my years as an architect first as a young female foreigner architect at the time where the sector really wasn't very diversified I mean still isn't but um, so I could see my struggle and how I overcame my problems to communicate clearly, to get my voice heard, um, to, to become more assertive with others, um, and then as, as, as I was saying before, I could see it in other people as well. So through study and my own experience, I managed to put together um, some sort of framework uh, to help others overcoming their issues. Yeah, the reason why I'm asking about the background and education is because I see a lot of young people and not so young people that you know chose sustainability in the first place even myself, really, we were 13 girls in the group. It was a female-only group for some reason. Boys were not interested in sustainability and environment here in Kyiv. And I am still in the field. One girl is veterinarian, vet uh, doctor. So a little bit by the side of, uh, let's say, environment and stuff. The rest, so 11 are changed completely. Cosmetics, lawyers, uh, they had to do some other things. And people now ask me, okay, how did you do that? And how did, how did I get back to that? Or how do I change completely from what I've been doing for 10, 15 years and join sustainability field? Here's the question, how important the degree is? What do you think? Is it important and absolutely necessary to have a degree to do, to exercise and practice sustainability? Or is it something you can learn on the go or maybe a big kind heart is really what it takes? What, what do you think? I'd say start from the heart for sure, because it is a vocational profession. Unless you are passionate about sustainability and ecology and you know the, the health of the planet and other people, you can't do this job. Also because probably there isn't a lot of money yet in it for the majority of us. So you have to be very motivated to, to keep on going sustainability. And also because, believe it or not, in spite of what you know, the, the news tell you, lots of people are still not convinced. So there are lots of climate deniers, etc. So it is hard day to day to actually keep on pushing your values. However, saying that, um, depending on the sector you choose to work in, sustainability, you do need some technical knowledge. Um, 
it depends very much because sustainability now is everywhere, isn't it? You can do marketing sustainability and you can do or sustainability marketing. You can do sustainability in construction, in fashion, in food, etc. So it depends very much. I would say degrees are important, but it's education day to day to me is more important and keeping curious is more important also because new technologies come up all the time and new ideas come up all the time and the world is going very very fast so i would say keep curious if you have to do something and i know plenty of people that have changed career from i don't know i knew an osteopath that became a sustainability consultant in buildings you know without no prior not i don't know what sort of sustainability consultant it was for buildings because to be fair if you are advising on buildings you need to have some knowledge of buildings however she did that uh, i know some marketing people that became sustainability consultants so you can learn on the way that's for sure but sometimes you do need the backbone of technical knowledge um yeah another thing as a follow-up there is obviously this imposter syndrome mm -hmm. and when for 15 years you were doing let's just say marketing and you have it in your you know this itching in your soul that oh, i want to do sustainability but how do i establish myself not even establish myself as such where do i start so at least someone starts seeing me as a sustainability well what would you say to that well i would say imposter syndrome affects every single one of us at different times of our lives um i've seen it in myself i keep on seeing it in myself um you know when i was writing the book i was like am i qualified enough to write this book but actually if you come from a place of you know this is my experience i'm not trying to preach anyone but you know this is what worked for me then yeah why not and if people want to listen then it's fine i think imposter syndrome is a very sneaky um condition in a way that affects everyone because at different times of our lives that we don't feel prepared for the next phase and um and that's normal in a way uh, it, sometimes it's true sometimes you have to acquire more qualifications and more knowledge in other cases it's just you putting yourself you know blocks in front of your eyes and your your legs and so you can't go ahead if someone has been in the same profession for many years and now they want to get into sustainability the first thing i usually suggest and that's something i do with my clients is start from a place that you are familiar with so what where are you strong where do you feel strong is it with you know talking to people or is it working on your own is it um, so what are you passionate about planting trees versus uh, recycling and waste so where is your starting point where do you feel stronger and then start analyzing what can you do in that field or in that particular sector or in that section and then of course you need to acquire some knowledge but you know thank goodness for technology and an advancement in technology there's plenty of knowledge out there i'm not saying you have to wing it all the time but you can definitely learn a lot on the field and then there will be a point in which you say okay i've done a lot by myself is that what i've done you know with coaching i've done a lot of mentoring i would say rather than coaching so i actually help people discover that path for themselves so i'm not going to tell them what they have to do but now i feel i need a formal qualification in coaching so i stopped and i said okay 
Now I can do my qualification. So you have to be very self-aware. That's all I'm saying. There is no one formula that is the same for everyone. But you can start from your strengths and your interest and your passion. And then from there, you can build up. Maybe you don't need any qualification. Maybe you, you need just to read a bit more. Uh, or maybe you do need to go back to, you know, to the books and study. Um, but every, everyone's journey is very unique. Uh, so that's what I try and tell my clients. Try and, and I, I do actually get them to do a mind map of all the things that interest them and then stuff from there and see what that takes them. It takes a little bit of thinking, which sometimes you don't have the luxury of, you know, uh, but if you stop and think, then maybe that will become clear. Well, that, that is an amazing piece of advice. Start slowly <laughs> from where you are. Another thing that came to my mind while you were describing this, you know, safety zone, expanded from the safety zone was, Take two things that are that you're passionate about, connected to sustainability. That's how I started the podcast also. What is sustainability in every little industry that is present in our lives? And connecting those two things, yeah, you can market sustainability in automobile industry. You can um, do exactly what you are doing. Start helping people discover their strengths and... Um, yeah, and their skills. Speaking of your consultancy, Green Gorilla, what is its, its main focus? How would you describe your work? Um, so the way I say, you know, I describe Green Gorilla is a coaching and training company supporting sustainability professionals to become stronger and to start making an impact in the world. Um, as I was saying, from my previous experience, from, from the way I know the sector, I could see people struggling to speak to other people about sustainability. I could see, for example, the typical case is a, a sustainability consultant um, having a meeting with a client and not being able to explain what sustainability is or what sort of solutions that can make a difference for that client. And the client just pushing back on the basis of, oh, it's expensive, we don't have the resources, uh, we don't have the time, etc. While obviously there is a bigger, you know, a bigger piece of work that needs to be done to A, educate the client, B, using the right arguments, C, say things in, in the right way. So is, is the why, so why should they be interested in sustainability? Uh, how, how am I speaking to them to convince them? So what influencing techniques I'm using? And, and C is really what sort of solutions I can propose to that client that is a win-win for everyone. Because I always say sustainability professionals need to start thinking in terms of being salespeople, not in the you know, old fashioned, you know, man with a little briefcase knocking a door to door and selling, I don't know, brushes or, you know, encyclopedias like back in the days, but literally trying to be of help, you know, helpful to their clients and providing them with a solution that is not trying to con them in any way, is actually supporting them to achieve their goals, but in a sustainable way. So that's all that we're trying to do at Green Gorilla, is using training courses and a mastermind, which is a new thing that we launched a couple of months ago, and the book, of course, and all the webinars that I do to try and provide those tools to people, to sustainability professionals to make a difference in the, in the marketplace. 
Right. Tell me more about uh, the mastermind. What's happening in there? I actually joined uh, two months ago, I think it was, um, the meetup session. So where, where you were explained for an hour and a half or two what it's going to be about, how it's going to look uh, month by month, week by week. And I know the first group is finished, has finished their time, right? No, actually, it's a year-long program, so we're still going strong, but um, every group is closer. So a mastermind, for those who don't know what it is, just as a concept, is a peer-to-peer -peer support group. So you will find yourself in, in a little group, up to 12 people, and my first group is actually of 10 people. Um, and I have a smaller one that is started just a couple of weeks ago. Um, but it needs to be a small group because people need to be um, confident to open their heart and their mind and, and ask for support or give support to other people. So it needs to be a close group that uh, has this uh, goal of improving their, um, well, in general, the mastermind is, they have a common theme. So there are, I don't know, par parenting masterminds and uh, uh, I don't know, uh, various type of interest masterminds. This one is based on sustainability. So I got a group of people interested in sustainability. Some of them work in sustainability and they've been doing that for a long time. Others are newbies, but they want to get into the sector. Uh, but they all are, they have this common love for sustainability. And the idea is over the course of the year, uh, they're gonna hone their soft skills. So all the skills that they, I believe personally are key to becoming successful sustainability professionals. And that way, uh, they support each other, um, I coach them, I support them, I mentor them, uh, so there is my guidance there and we meet two or three times a month with webinars or different, the um, different themes based on sustainability and soft skills applied to sustainability um, and then we do Q&As and then we do one-to-one -one coaching, they can do the Green Gorilla uh, training courses which are all based on soft skills and uh, I think it's one of the I don't know, it's not because I created it, to be fair. The value of it is really in the group. And uh, the first group is going so, so well. They are loving it. I'm loving it. It's just amazing the way these people are growing so fast. Um, as an example, of course, we don't name a name, but a lady who was really quite lost, you know, was at the beginning of lockdown and she was homeschooling and struggling to find time to put together this business she had in her mind. And, um, you know, she couldn't progress at all. And so she joined the mastermind. And now, so only two months down the line, she said, Virginia, I'm not sure whether I can actually join this week because I'm putting together this application for a grant for my, for my business and I'm writing the business case and I'm writing the business model and I'm working with my uh, business partner to do this. So she's like full on working on a project. And I'm so glad because that's all it is about is becoming stronger, finding your strengths, your plan to reach your goals. That's all I want to do through the mastermind. It made me think, you know, we are living in such an extraordinary time when you can create your own profession. You can take whatever you feel like taking, mixing it up together with your strongest skills. And there you go. There you are applying it in, in some creative, extraordinary way. That's amazing. What do you how what would you say to what do you think 
based on your experience and people who come to the mastermind, who read the book, based on their feedbacks. By the way, I saw some uh, uh, you posted on LinkedIn, like, <laughs> I read the book, it's a breakthrough. Uh, top three to five biggest blocks of problems that sustainability professionals come to you with. Yeah, the first one for sure is they don't, they don't feel heard. So they think, okay, I got these this values, I love sustainability. I think it's a no-brainer, right? Why don't people do it? You know, what don't people do it? You know, why do I have to go there and convince them of doing the right thing? So they, first of all, they don't feel heard. They feel clients, as I was saying before, um, always have an objection based on money in the majority of cases. So they have that struggle to communicate the message. They wanted to change the world and they are, the world is slow to change. That's another thing, it's through the frustration of it. Um, or they want a career in sustainability or they want to change path in sustainability and they don't know how to do that, like we were just saying before. Or another one that I felt with the lady that actually posted the review you mentioned, she felt deflated. You know, after years of trying and trying, she felt like she lost her mojo. She was worried about the planet. She felt nothing she would do would change anything. So she lost a bit of sparkle in that sense. Um, and, and another one is people struggle to find their tribe. People start, you know, struggle to find people that think in the same way. And, you know, LinkedIn is an amazing place of finding people, you know, that they think the same in the same way. But it's not always that easy in day-to-day -day life. So that's usually the sort of um, issues people come with. But I would say 90% of people don't feel heard. They don't feel impactful enough. They don't feel what they say or do make a difference. I can relate so much. <laughs> yeah, I know. I started from the same place. Honestly, I started from the same place. So um, it's very, I very... I felt like we, we were... I was speaking to... I felt like a... You know, what is... In English, it's called black sheep. We call it here uh, the white uh, crook. Mm -hmm. oh, it's just, <laughs> just the cultural change of colors. Uh, that we, I was speaking to big business guys on a different language, like I was from a different planet. And I was like, what do you mean you don't understand and it's expensive, but it's going to save you this much on the long run. And at the end, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to convince anyone. I'm just going to go to the already convinced ones. But someone has to do it anyway, you know? Yeah, well, I would say, you know, from what I researched, there is about 5% of the population that is unconvincible. So say Trump, if you had to convince Trump of becoming a, an eco-warrior, probably you won't have a chance in, uh, you know, <laughs> to do that. However, it's only 5% of the population, believe it or not. The other 95%, you can find a way. And I know it's hard, but what is the difficulty is that we come always from a place of knowledge so sustainability professionals think in a way that everyone else understand already or that it is so obvious why don't you know why don't you understand but actually the base the basic way of going about it i found is to step back 
and to think, analyze your language and think, okay, would they understand when I say PV panels? Because for example, I learned the other day that people in America don't call them PV panels, panels they call them solar panels or photovoltaic panels. While in the UK we say PV panels, which is already jargon. So if I talk to a client, would they understand that? Or if I say um, uh, whole life costing, would they understand that? So really unpick your language to make it as simple as possible. That's the first step. Second is, what would my client be interested in? So that's what I need to understand. What do they need? What do they want? And is what do they want the same as what they need, if you see what I mean? Sometimes people don't even know what they want <laughs> or what they need. So you have to be extra um, careful to understand your clients and their situation and their project and really go and address their special, you know, their specific need. And that can be done with sustainability, 99% of the cases. Unfortunately, we always go there with what we know. We don't listen enough. And um, it's not an accusation to you or, you or me or anyone else. It's actually what we do sometimes. <laughs> we just don't listen. We don't analyze enough of what the problem is. And so we come with the first solution that comes into our mind. And obviously, you find difficulty there. Uh, but there, there is a process that can be followed and, and generally works. <laughs> and is it the process that you describe in the book? Tell me a bit about the book. <laughs> you need to read the book. <laughs> yes, I'm on my way. <laughs> well, it's part of it. So the book is, is focusing on the five main skills that sustainability professionals, in my view, personal view, should have in order to find success. And those are communication, resilience, very important at these times, especially of unrest and, um, and difficulty and unclear future, um, project managing and uh, people managing, and finally selling. Uh, I said five because the fifth is technical. You have to have some form, as I said before, of technical knowledge if you want to start. But then I would say the other skills are equally important, if not more important. So the selling part covers all that I was describing in, into a lot more details, in fact. So, yeah. And how long did it take to write the book? Uh, I started in November 2018 and the book was published this year in February uh, 2020. Um, so I started with just as a little challenge actually, believe it or not, it was an author uh, doing a challenge on Facebook to write the background yeah. of your non-fiction book and I was stuck in a B&B with my son who wasn't well. <laughs> So I thought, what do I do for a couple of days, you know, besides watching Peppa Pig on repeat? Um, so I started scribbling on a piece of paper, following the guidance of this book coach that then became my book coach as well, because I hired her to help me on the process, to speed up the process. And, um, and, and that, that was it. You know, I wanted to address this gap. I wanted to help sustainability professionals to become stronger and how do you do that? It's by honing the skills. And so, you know, from one thing to the other one, in, I think on the 1st of January, I started writing and, uh, and then, yeah, and then it was published this year. So it took uh, just uh, over 13 months or something, mm -hmm. 14, yeah. Well, it seems like it was done in one seat and, you know, like hop, 
and it's done. You know, people, people, I assume, ask you and they ask me about the podcast, how did you get the idea? Mm. And from what I see from every professional I interview, see in real life and so on, the idea is not just born one day on spot. It is always based on something you have done, noticed, took note, mental note of, and then somehow organically something is born out of it, step by step. That's, exa that's exactly it. Um, in fact, the book encapsulates the framework that I use at Green Gorilla to do my work. Um, so I just wanted to crystallize it in some ways and put it into, into a book that people could take as a, almost like a self-help book for sustainability professionals if they didn't want or didn't have perhaps the money or the time to do the courses. So it's, it's the, the same content, um, but obviously when you do the courses or the coaching is much more expanded and it's much more personalized. And the idea came, as I said, when I was working at BRE and listening to people and their grumbles and their difficulties to convince clients of adopting Briam, for example, or, but how do I do that? You know, this is so cumbersome. This is so difficult. And so I said, well, there must be a way, right? There must be a way of communicating sustainability and to actually make, make it happen, not just communicate it, but make it happen, convince people, you know, bring them on board and, and all of that. And so that's how it started. So I had that book brewing in my mind for a while. And then when I actually put pen on paper, that started really developing. But from the first skeleton, I would say the first mind map that I've done, actually the end of the book was very similar. I just put a lot more details and I've done a lot of research to, to put in, you know, stuff in there. And I have to say, it was of huge help to have people helping me from the leadership and management side. So I've got some associates that are psychologists and business psychologists and leadership and management experts that supported me to create the, um, the courses and then from the content of the courses a lot to trickle down into the book so it's not just me and what i've been thinking i would be very arrogant to say that it's actually everything in life is is a team effort so there is a lot of that as well in the book yeah uh, i i was reading about uh, again very recently jacinda ardern and her partner clark gayford I was like, oh my God, really, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be who they are as a family, she as a leader of the country, if they were not in competition, you know, as opposed to competition, they are playing together in one team. And it's, it's I see, uh, as they say, you go faster if you go alone, but you go further if you go together. There mm. is so much benefit and in unity in togetherness in combining the efforts it speeds up the process so totally share what you say you sound and seem and you are i am sure of it a person who is able to do multiple achieve also not only start multiple projects at the same time you have your routine daily routine you work with uh, uh, individual clients you set up this mastermind group everything is rolling moving the book by the way i noticed there are two books on the amazon one is sustainable and the other one was on briam and you know yeah. in the beginning you explained to me quite well why it was the case how do you structure your day 
Well, um, the thing is, as a, as a woman and as a mother, I have to be organized. Otherwise, nothing happens. <laughs> I tell you. And these times have been particularly challenging from that point of view because I have been juggling work and homework with the kids at home. So not always the easiest. Um, but uh, I think it takes a little bit of time at the beginning to organize your day. And then you, you avoid decision fatigue by having a plan in place. That's my, my take on it. So the key for me has been from going from being a night owl to being an early bird. Took a while, um, but I, I used to love, you know, staying up late and doing crafting jobs and that sort of thing. But then I realized I was actually very sharp in the morning. And when I started writing the book, I realized that was the best time for me. If I woke up early, but silly early, like 4.30 in the morning or 5, then I would get a couple of hours of uninterrupted work done. And because I knew my day would be busy between work and kids, I knew that unless I wanted, I had to do that, unless I... Um, so sorry. Uh, unless I did that, wake up so early, I wouldn't have written the book. And that was my strong motivation. So you have to have the future in mind when you try and plan your day. So why am I doing it? Because if you don't have, if you don't have a really strong why, then nothing happens. So for me, it's waking up early. Now that I finished the book, I have to admit, it's not 4.30 anymore, but maybe it's 5.30 because I have one of my kids that is quite an early riser and I want to get my day started properly before he wakes up. <laughs> so I do wake up early and then I have my own non-negotiable time. And that's what makes me quite uh, productive during the day, I believe. And that's my own thing is I have my own wake up routine and that involves meditation. And unless I do 10 or 15 minutes of meditation every day, it doesn't feel right. Um, some people do exercise. I used to go out running and I've done that for a while. Um, I need that me time before I start. I need to feel grounded a bit. So that's my non-negotiable. And then I started the, the most important task of the day is early in the day. Uh, because I know, especially after lunch, I am not used to anyone. <laughs> So I do my focus work time early in the morning up to say midday. And after that, it would be maybe phone calls, meetings um, in normal days. Now it's like, you know, Zoom calls and all this stuff. So I do try and box the day so that the earliest part of the day is the most productive one. And the second one is admin or other things that don't need a lot of my brain power. And then I have to be honest, at three o'clock, I'm done, you know, after I've done, you know, my hours is done and then it's kids time and, you know, family time. Um, and I keep track of this. I have goals. I have a, a yearly plan. I have a monthly plan. I have a weekly plan. I like my planning, I've got to say, and I like to keep track uh, of where I'm going. And, and that keeps me grounded and it keeps me on track on what I have to do. Um, I don't multitask anymore. That's important. Multitask is overrated, multitasking. Uh, I do one thing fairly well, as well as I can do, and then I move on to the next task. So, mm. And that's my advice, I would say try and do that instead of switching from emails to i don't know projects just just focus on one thing at a time 
Yeah, pretty useful. I would add one, my personal one is batching. So there is one specific hour in the day when I sit down and go through all of my emails. I'm not going to check once in a while every 15 minutes. So yeah. that removed, for example, a lot of anxiety even. Mm. Uh, Facebook messages, LinkedIn messages, everything gets answered at once. So batching was a game changer, changer for me. Um, yeah, yeah, I do the same when I can, yeah. <laughs> I like when you said, yeah, you have to wake up before the family wakes up. Then you're on their side, not on the side of, of your work. Yeah. Uh, here, a potentially stupid question alert. Where to find motivation? I mean, I ask this question and I understand how weird it sounds because I yeah, you just decided to do, you're determined and you're committed to do, let's say, to write a book. That is the motivation. But very often I see it in people and I see it even in myself sometimes. I know what I have to do. I know exactly how cool it will feel at the end once the task is accomplished, especially if it's a year-long task, a project. And yet it's so hard to wake up at 4.30 in the morning, just like you say, and do the work. Where to find this motivation? The motivation comes from having a very clear vision of your future, I'd say. Uh, obviously, you know, life gets in the way all the time. You know, you wake up one morning and you feel like you don't want to do anything. So it happens and it happens to everyone, including myself. But if you have a very clear vision of the future, and for me, for example, while I was writing the book, it was, okay, I want to write this book and I don't want to write it for 10 years. I want it to come out as soon as possible because I know it will be useful for many people. Um, so that was part of it. But then, as I was mentioning before, decision fatigue is a big thing. If every morning I have to decide to wake up at 4.30, then I'm not going to do it every day. If I wake up at 4.30 because I put my alarm clock and I got my computer ready to go and my water ready there and my coffee ready to go because it's a bit of a ritual. If you create your own ritual and you go from A to B to C without thinking anymore, then you totally take away the element of decision which tires you and then eventually fades it's like when you want to when you want to go to the gym the best way to do that is to have the bag prepared in front of your door so you literally stumble upon it <laughs> when you have to get out and, and leave the house the same with anything else if you are determined to do something you decide once in a way and then of course you remind yourself for example for a long time just behind you know people won't see that in the in the podcast but i have a wall behind me and for a long time you know throughout the time i was writing the book i had post-it notes with my mind map for the book so the chapters were all on post-it notes on the wall that reminded me that that was my goal i want to write a book this is what i have to do it's all planned so when i wake up in the morning i don't have to think oh what am i going to write today no 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 i know what am i going to, I'm going to write today because this week i'm going to write about selling okay so take away all decisions plan them in advance so that when you wake up in the morning and you feel you don't want to do it you have you is already decided for you in a way 
It's easier said than done, I got to say. Sometimes it's still difficult, but you have to prep your environment to help you with that. And the more you remind yourself daily of your big vision of what you want to achieve, the better chances you have of actually waking up at that time and do it. And yeah, but beside that, you know, it's, yeah, it just, it's just vision. It's just what you want to do and achieve. You just reminded me, probably will be of use to, to some listeners. Um, when was it? Six years ago, I was changing my, completely changing my nutrition because I was feeling like I needed to feel better. It was not the, a lot of extra weight that I needed to lose, but I felt like I was kind of in the clouds all the time. And for me, my trick to wake up early was knowing uh, the, uh, the evening in, before what I'm going to have for breakfast. So waking up super early because I was excited to have my healthy breakfast, you know, and still to this day, I'm thinking about, yeah, you know, to wake up early, to, to you know, you, you give yourself this treat kind of in advance in terms of a thought. Oh, that's what you're gonna have for for your breakfast. So you were excited to get up. For me, it's also the silence in the morning. You know, my my day, you know, is filled, you know, with with children and, and noise and everything. And actually, for me, the treat is waking up early, having my coffee in silence. It's amazing. I love it. And even that, as you said, you know, everyone has their own motivation to do it, and you have to find your own motivation in your own treat let's say your golden hour that helps you waking up early if you want to do that of course if that's your goal and um, rituals help absolutely here is the question uh, I've been thinking it by my about it by myself sustainability as a field seems and sounds like a field where you don't make a lot of money and a lot of youngsters don't choose it because they don't see strong role models, really. Mm-hmm. How, is it something that people address to you when they come as a client? It's like, oh, but uh, you don't make a lot of money, so why even start? And how to fight it? I would say um, lots of my clients come to me because they don't care about money. They care about sustainability. So I actually haven't seen many people coming to me, but they want to make it work, of course. So they say, look, I am in love with sustainability. I think this is what it should be done. However, how can I make it work so that I can pay my bills, <laughs> of course? And I always go back to the concept of Aikigai, which is a Japanese concept to call um, uh, meaning of, of life or something along these lines. So effectively, you are happy and fulfilled in your job when you can combine what you love with what you're good at with what the world needs and what they are ready to pay you for. So once you got this full, then it's perfect. Of course it is. But it's very rare to find that balance. Sometimes you do what you love and you're good at, but you're not paid very well, which is the case sometimes of sustainability. Or sometimes you do a job just because he pays the bills. So it's not something that you love, you're passionate about. Maybe you're good at it, but it's not passionate. You know, you're not passionate about it. So what I always say is, so long as you do it well, 
and you love what you're doing and you keep on trying in a way and showing up every day, you will find something that makes you happy. Even um, you will make it work. That's the thing. Um, it's not like the poorest jobs of, you know, if you are a sustainability consultant, most of the times you can survive, you know, it's not, we're not talking very low paid jobs, but it's true that you might not become, you know, as wealthy as someone else in finance, for example. It's a choice as well. It's what do you need? Often people that work in sustainability are actually also minimalist. You know, they don't want to, you know, they're not um, going to uh, earn all that money to spend it in flash cars or, you know, big expensive stuff. Um, so it's really up to you in a way to choose where to stand. And it's true, you know, the market is what it is at the moment. However, I don't have the crystal ball, but I'm thinking sustainability will become bigger in the future. It will be and non-negotiable hopefully soon and it, it, you can see the you know starting in a way from last year's uh, you know Greta Thunberg and all that happened and and you know and climate change so we are actually in the right industry to be in right now and it will become more in demand that means also probably it would be paid better however competition would be lots because at that point lots of people would be interested in it like with anything else um, but it's, I think it's a matter of balance, really. It's what you're looking for. And again, your goals, what, what you want to be, what, what do you want to be? <laughs> and that's something, a question that people, you know, when I ask them, they freeze because they think they know. And then when I ask them, they don't know anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's very hard. It's such a simple question. But if you were asked once and you have to reply in one sentence, because what do you want? It's one, two, three things, maybe. And I know, yes, it's, it's prison. Which areas uh, in industry-wise do you think lack sustainability? Hmm. Okay, I believe all industries are catching up slowly, slowly, and at the moment more in theory than in practice. Because there are lots of pioneers in the sectors, there are lots of people working in sustainability in all sorts of sectors. But I think at the moment, especially after what happened last year with Greta and the and sort of, you know, she raised the profile of sustainability. You hate it or you love it, but it's been on newspapers almost daily until COVID came, right? Yeah. So we are actually suffering from massive greenwash at the moment, even more than before. People claim they're sustainable, you know, companies claim um, that they are doing the right thing, but how much and how actually sustainable things are is all to be decided. So, but I, you know, we still have the you know, sweatshops and they're still legal, you know, still legal buying clothes that are made by children underage and, and, and in poor working conditions. It's still, you know, carbon emissions are still not regulated. The aviation is not being regulated in terms of carbon emission or at least not as much as it should. Recycling is still less than 10% of all plastics, for example, that we, that we throw away, less than 10% is being recycled. So there are still lots of, lots, you know, there's still a lot to work to do at the same time. So it's pretty much in all the sectors that we can improve. I think it's, there is actually good news because there is so much to do. It's plenty of opportunities for all of us, the work in sustainability, to do well, to make an impact, to change the world for the better. I am still, I'm very much glass full in that sense. I really think 
the individuals have power and you know that little girl demonstrated it individuals can have power if they have the grit and the strength to go ahead and do it even though at the beginning they look foolish <laughs> so each of us you know all the pioneers look stupid at the beginning or look foolish or look crazy and then people start following and following and following until it becomes a movement and that's what we need to do as individuals we don't have to be afraid to look a bit crazy at the beginning but just go with the flow keep on going because individuals do have power yeah so, plenty to do that <laughs> do you think that covid 19 speeds up this accelerate accelerates this uh, sustainability transition or on the contrary hmm that's a good question i've been asking myself that question quite a bit um i can see people eager like we saw yesterday in the uk non-essential shops started opening again and people queuing up behind primark for hours so that <laughs> gives you, oh you know, an indicator of what's happening and i'm sure people will be queuing up in airports as soon as they open again to fly and get away but probably and hopefully is only a little bump because then people and hopefully government will have realized that um you know there is a lot of money to be made in sustainability a good news here in the uk is that i don't think we have used coal for the last 60 days so it's been the majority of renewable energy powering because obviously lots of activities have been shut which is very good news um and i, I hope people will ride the tide and they will just uh, keep on going with this momentum of sustainable cleaner air um, you know better environment however I don't know. I think the economy needs to start again. I hope they will invest in a clean economy and clean, you know, in a new paradigm, new energy sources, new ways of thinking. The, my only issue is we weren't prepared for this. So probably there isn't enough time to actually do that. But again, I'm still hopeful, you know, it's lots of us now interested in sustainability that want to do the right thing. And you often when the market demands sustainability, then companies and governments respond. So I think we have a lot of power, both as professionals and as consumers as well. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's my very confused view of the future. <laughs> You are confused, and I'm still shocked by the Primark story. Oh, yeah. There we talk about uh, slavery, modern-day slavery, uh, kids' uh, labor, uh, those factories in Bangladesh and so on. I don't think people actually realize how bad it is. You know, they're good in our, you know, these shops and, you know, market in general, you know, the consumerism is good to show them the blinky side and the shiny side, but hide very carefully the dark side. And if people knew more, it's like, you know, Blue Planet 2, that documentary here in the UK, they changed completely the, 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 the public view on plastic. People started becoming plastic free because they saw how bad the plastic affects marine life. Before people were shown, they didn't realize, but it was still happening massively. Mm -hmm. So I think it takes a little bit of a shock 
to change people's mind, but it can be done. We need probably more testimonials. So we need more celebrities showing, you know, what happens really at the back and, and you know, in the dark side of things, being that the sweatshops or, yeah, or, or recycling that is not happening and all of that. Uh, but people, people just don't know. It's also an education thing. People don't know. And you know, there, there is a lot of focus on plastic. And I think I raised this question with one of the guests about, about plastic. Okay, I'm sitting here in, deeply in the mainland. How do you want me to feel whatever feelings, guilty and so on, about plastic in the ocean? Let's say I've never even seen the ocean. How do you mean I contribute to the plastic pollution in the ocean? But this topic gets a lot of um messages like one after one films movies um, ads and so on fast fashion yeah i guess the person random person queuing behind the behind primark yeah it's just the cheap clothes that i've been missing so much why do i care where was it where it was produced you are right there is no emotional connection what really changes people's mind is emotional connection with a certain um with a certain issue if you are far from the sea you never seen the sea maybe you don't have that but i'm sure if you see like um, a turtle entangled uh, or strangled by you know a plastic bag that will touch a nerve wherever you live at the moment, they are not being shown very much, you know, the children working in factories or the poor conditions there, the health conditions, uh, no lighting and all of that stuff. So um, I think when there is no emotional connection, nothing can change. So the best way of changing things is, as I was saying, someone who is good at storytelling, like David Attenborough, who did that documentary that became so famous, and telling the story and making that connection for people. Um, and granted, not everyone will feel connected or emotional, but the majority will probably. So, um, yeah, I'm calling for anyone <laughs> that has the opportunity to, you know, to maybe to shoot a movie. Actually, there was a movie, I can't remember the name of it, that was about sweatshops. It was quite tragic. Uh, so I don't think it can be shown, you know, to masses, but it was quite shocking to, to watch. Mm -hmm. Okay, Virginia, time to wrap it up. I've been keeping you for more than an hour, but I could go on and on, honestly. <laughs> Me too, as you can tell. <laughs> yes, everybody's smiling. Usually I ask my guests to share book or movie or some other piece of advice slash suggestion to share with the listeners. I think I will start with telling everybody to go check your book on Amazon. And I know you were, you're trying to change your publisher yeah. uh, to a more ethical and sustainable one. Kudos to that. So my, my suggestion is that everyone goes to the Amazon at the moment and maybe downloads the, um, buys the electronic version. That's my case personally, not to, to multiply this uh, printed books amounts especially when you travel a lot and so on but your turn what has influenced you most of all or maybe something that really comes to your mind on top of your mind that you would like to share a movie a book something um i have to say so is it just uh, it's just a quote actually 
which I also printed at the right at the front of my book, uh, and I'm going to read so that I don't, uh, you know, misquote it, because since I heard this quote, it really changed my mind and my mindset. And uh, it's a quote by Henry Ford, and he says, "Whether you think you can, or you think you can't, you're right." And that's just to say, you are in charge of your own life. So whatever you're thinking you can do, then you can do. But if you think you can't do it, then that's it. It's all down to you. So if you want to change the world for the better, you have the power to do it. Everything is in the head. <laughs> yeah. All so that's, the, that's it for me, really. It encompasses all that I'm trying to communicate to people, really. Yeah, all the frames are in the head and, you know, the power is also in your hands. As, soon, as long as you have your head and hands, you, you are progressing. You can do anything. Thank you so much, Virginia, for your time and sharing the wisdom. Me, I'm definitely going back to my tasty, tasty breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. You start with one thing and then it, it generates a domino effect. Absolutely. Start with one good habit and the rest will follow for sure. So, yeah. Thank you for having me, Anna. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Virginia. Have a nice day. Ciao, ciao. I appreciate you taking the time to join us today. I hope you loved listening to this episode as much as I loved working on it. You learned something new today and got inspired to take action amazing. If you have any questions for me or Virginia, please don't hesitate to reach out to us on LinkedIn. If you like the podcast, subscribe, share on your social media, leave a review on a platform you're listening on. I would appreciate a lot if you rate us on our Podchaser page and leave a review there. I reply each and everyone in person. By taking your time to give your honest feedback, you help me improve the show and also you help other people interested in practical aspects of sustainability to discover the podcast. I always suggest some other related episodes and today I'd like to point you out to the episodes, um, to the following episodes. For example, the one on sustainable business models with Anna Itkin on how to practice system thinking and another one is called Wellbeing, Health and Environmental Psychology with Lee Chambers from Essentialize about useful routines for high performers. And here I also, of course, include sustainability professionals. The episode number three in my, in my random ranking today is called Woken Up, a social network for sustainability specialists. Interview with the founder, uh, Simon Poulston Jones on where lots of opportunities sit for anyone doing something in environmental and or social regard. And of course, the episode from last year, the earliest episode, um, that is called Every Job is a Sustainability Job, discussion with Lincoln Blevins on where we are in terms of sustainability job sector. This would be my top four suggestions on top of my mind. Of course, you are invited to check any other episodes that speak to you. We have a lot of exciting interviews on this podcast covering a range of topics from 
urbanism, flowers, buildings, biodiversity and conservation, bedsheets, cannabis, all the way to tourism, fashion, economy and many more. Just find whatever whatever you'd like to listen and, and go ahead. As well, reach out to me on LinkedIn, challenge me with your questions, suggest guests, maybe it's you, you are the next guest. Suggest topics you'd like me to cover in the future and I will find who to invite, who to talk the topic uh, about. And let's keep in touch. This was Sustainability Explored, episode number 49, and me, your host, Anna Chashna. Thank you again for listening, for being with us today, and until next time, as always, we meet next Thursday. Take care, stay sustainable. Bye-bye. Thank you.